With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Y Whales, wherever you are today. So it's October 10th. Uh, Bitcoin's doing its its uh, you know bear market thing. Nothing super exciting there. Uh, but today is a, a probably one of my most uh, exciting interviews that I've really been kind of waiting for weeks to have because these guys are booked out so far, and so am I. Um, and it's a metaverse uh, conversation, but it's not the typical metaverse that we we've, we've had uh, where we're talking about you know pretty looks um, and you know kind of just proof of you know. Like, hey, it's there just because it's there. Um, we're talking with the team, RP1, that actually is building the operating system of which all metaverses, you know, theoretically could operate on. And to me, that's a very interesting um, conversation. And I can I can introduce these guys, but I do it very poorly. So let's go ahead and, and uh, you know, get to know these guys a little bit better. Um, Dean, would you mind uh, kicking us off with a little bit of your background and, and uh, which is very storied and how you got here today? Uh, sure. Yeah. Thanks for having us, Jay. Um, so my name is Dean Abramson. Uh, I've got a nearly 40-year history in software uh, development, engineering, and architecture. Um, I could go all the way back to the early days when I was tinkering in high school. But I think the relevant history starts uh, probably uh, in the early 2000s where I was uh, I, I got on board with Full Tilt Poker. Um, and that's when I really began my modern journey of software architecture, system design, uh, scalability. And um, I tell you, poker is an interesting story, and it, it fits nicely into the metaverse. Because if you think about early 2000, uh, we're talking about 20 years ago, we had built systems that handled 100,000 concurrent users in real time that had conversations, that had persistence. Um, that had a lot of the properties of the metaverse and in you know it's in a in a turn-based game format but we really accomplished a lot back then and so you could say that my gaming history goes back um uh to that time frame so uh i started building a system for full tilt uh my goal or my my commission was to to support a hundred thousand users and it was a long journey it took three four five years before we finally got up to that point um, and then, uh, the poker, uh, poker industry kind of crumbled. And then I went on my own, uh, assuming that the poker industry would reboot. I tried to build a new poker platform. It was originally poker exclusive, but then we started adding more, uh, uh, casino, um, gambling verticals. And, uh, what really was born out of that process was a new technology that we call a database. Um, it's kind of analogous to a database, but it's designed to run, uh, real-time software and deal with the issues of concurrency and low latency and uh, synchronization between uh, machines. And databases are really incredible. Uh, I don't think we're going to talk a lot about databases during this call. It's mostly going to be about the metaverse, but we will get heavily into databases in the future because that's what makes everything that we do possible. And so it's been really yeah. 10 years or so that I've been working and focusing on scalability and almost nothing but and um, I'd say it was during the pandemic that uh, a friend of mine, I was over at a friend's house, and he says, hey, I just got this Oculus 
quest, do you want to try it on? And I'm like, yeah, I do. I've heard about it. I heard it was really great, but I had no idea what it would be like. So I tried it on. I literally only had about five minutes to play with it. And instantly my mind just went to places that I never thought were, uh, I just, I, 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 couldn't process what I was doing. And then from that moment on, I got home, I started researching just Oculuses or VR in general. And that led me, it, it took three months of researching before we actually ran across the word metaverse. That's how unpopular the word metaverse was back in the beginnings of the pandemic. But now obviously the metaverse has exploded and uh, the talk about it's everywhere. So it's really the, the once I put on the headset, um, realizing that the software that I built for originally for poker and for gaming in general could be adapted and used to the metaverse. And then that set us on the course for what our company is currently trying to uh, produce and solve. So it's, it's my history. Yeah. And, and, and I love to kind of pause and talk about that, that poker problem a little bit, because it's a, it's a very real like problem that you had to solve um, for online gambling. And, and that's not exactly the top of our conversation today, but, but it's a really good use case for, microseconds count. Um, and when you're talking about online versus in person, you know, in, in person, there can be a mild delay between someone's reaction. Um, but if, if the cards are dealt or someone's made a different move, um, you have to have hundreds of, you know, you have to have everything in sync at all times because if there's any delay, there's arbitraging that can happen. Um, and suddenly it becomes an unfair game of, of different, you know, different connection speeds and everything else. Um, as well as poker at the end of the day is a community. Um, it is only works, you know, as kind of an engaging with live people. Nobody wants to go play a bunch of computers uh, in poker. So you have to have that, that valid feel. Um, and that requires kind of instantaneous connections, even on Zoom and on this connection here. Um, you know, if, if there's a, a one second delay, it's a very hard conversation to stay in because you don't know when someone stopped talking and everything else. So that, that idea of keeping 100,000 people in sync um, I can't even imagine, you know, what, what the problems were that you guys had to, had to solve, but what was, what did, what was, where'd you start from and how did you get to a hundred thousand? You know, we, we started building a single table and development and, and, you know, it works great when you got all the people in your office playing poker and this is what every company goes through. You, you build a poker system and you design the table and you design gameplay and betting and folding and all that stuff. And then you get the people in your office to play and you go, this works great. And then you get your friends to play and you're like, this still works great. And then you start inviting some customers on there and you get to like a few hundred people and you go, well, this doesn't work as great as it used to. And you're like, what, what happened here? Something slowed down. And then you get to like a thousand people and then all of a sudden things go wrong. And then you start fix those bugs and then you get to 3000 people and stuff breaks even more and then you fix that and then you get to 12,000 people and stuff really breaks hard and then you work your way to 20,000 and then everything breaks across the board and so it's just this constant evolution of finding the scalability problem breaking through it and coming up with a new solution that will solve it and I said you know timing in poker really isn't that critical it's a turn-based game if I bet and you found out or if I whatever move I make if, if you find out like a half a second later, it doesn't change the experience all that much. But here's where, when, when, you're, when you're talking about poker, and I'll, I'm no longer in the poker industry, I will reveal poker companies make a lot of money. But I mean, we, we think of ourselves as banks. First and foremost, we are banks because we are pulling in and processing a lot of money, and that's the business. It's not about playing poker. It's about collecting money and, and collecting rake and managing all that. And so when you get to the large scalability problems and you're trying to get 100,000 people on the site, as your site grows, if you have scalability problems, everything slows down. So here's the trick. 
if you can speed up a move or an action, if I click a mouse and hit a button and my opponents or the other people on the table find out about my action five milliseconds faster, and there's eight or nine bets per round, and there's four rounds per hand, and we sped 45 actions up by five milliseconds, right? We just picked up 200 milliseconds in the game, which maybe speeds the game up by 5%, 6% total. The revenues go up by 5 or 6%. When you're making a couple million dollars a day, that's a big deal. So if yeah, your system is non-performant, when you have 100 people and you're playing and everything's working fine, and then you get to 1,000 and you don't realize that the whole system just drop by like 20% and you get to like 20,000 people. You don't realize your system is really running 30 or 40 or 50% slower than it should be. And you're losing 10, 20, 30, 40 milliseconds per hand. Your revenue is going down by gargantuan amounts of money. And so we built a system that is actually provable that when you're running at a hundred thousand users, you have the exact same performance as when you're running at uh, at 100 users, we can actually measure to a very, very, very small degree that the system is running equally efficiently and there's no extra delay. And then when you start getting to the metaverse, you're talking about 64 updates a second, real-time audio, uh, processing uh, audio for 4,000 concurrent users. All We're talking about a completely different level of processing altogether. I mean, it, it puts poker to shame. So you're looking at thousand times more work than what we're really doing on a poker. So for 4,000 people in real time audio in the metaverse is probably a thousand times more work than processing a hundred thousand people playing poker. I'm, I'm super excited to continue that, but let's jump over to Sean. Cause Sean, you have a, a slightly different background and, and equally as important in kind of the entire RP one uh, infrastructure. You know, what's interesting, uh, you know, my background, you know, I always think about this is, is like how, what makes you who you are, right? And it's the experiences that you go through both in personal and also in business. When I came out of college, I actually worked, I came right into the dot-com right before the bust. And I worked for a company called eCredit, which was revolutionizing the, the financial transaction uh, industry. And I got to see thousands of business plans and business models and get to meet a lot of visionaries and people that have created unique technologies that needed our solution. And so from the get-go, I was able to look at so many different ways of looking at not only business, but technology, and also seeing how all these technology leaders needed a way to get their information out to the world. And so there's always that kind of balance of having some revolutionary inventor or engineer or uh, someone that sees something that can be done so differently. And then you have someone that can recognize that, understand the implications in the industry and be able to kind of get on a soapbox and really share that information with necessary partners and individuals. Um, you know, throughout my career, I've been kind of in a mix of technology and consumer electronics where I've been able to see really unique products. In fact, I was able to put a cell phone product in about 80,000 storefronts. And when you think about 80,000 storefronts, we're talking about, uh, it was a cell phone product and it was in all the carriers, Radio Shack to C stores like 7-Eleven and uh, to grocery stores and international as well. And we did that in about two years. And it was just exciting, you know, to see a product, to really understand the implications of it and really kind of get all the buyers of these major, you know, retail outlets to understand what it can do for the industry. And that was just an eye-opening process for me to really engage with all these different stakeholders and understand their perspectives and how to really get a product into those places and whatnot. 
And then I kind of bridged more into the SaaS side and technology where we, um, I, I, I met another company that had some revolutionary uh, product for uh, hospitals. And, um, and again, you know, it's like, what did I know about hospitals? Not a lot, but I understood right away the problem that they were solving. And so reaching out to the heads of the hospital, we were solving a problem that was hitting, you know, 20, 30% of their bottom line. And so it's really easy to really kind of come into a, a, a company like that, understand the product, and then try to build out, you know, kind of what that looks like, um, both from a company standpoint, but also how to actually see how that uh, the hospital can implement that change and what that does to their entire uh, organization. And uh, when I got, uh, you know, Dean, obviously we started as friends and, you know, we got to learn about his technology and forget about even the metaverse, just what he was able to do on the poker side. And I think he's being super humble. Um, he actually built something that was extremely revolutionary, even if we're just talking about poker. And so uh, the idea of poker, um, is and it's kind of kind of rare and, and I, a lot of people kind of say what does poker have to do with the metaverse and what it has to do with the metaverse and what he solved is how do you put a hundred thousand people in a single shard and that idea of being in a single shard is super super important especially when we're going to eventually talk about the metaverse and in and, and poker you if you only had um i'll give you an example for shard the idea is you know uh fortnite had a concert with 10 million people so you'd say, wow, they had 10 million concurrent users. But in fact, it was really 80 to 100 people that were in an instance watching that concert. And they basically replicated that instance for the next 100 people and so on and so on. But the person in concert one cannot communicate or interact with person in concert, concert number two. And so this is pretty much what's happening with the metaverse today is people are creating these shards where a very small amount of people can kind of come together but the impact of this is really, really, really important for the metaverse. And I'll give you a great example. Imagine if we were to shard some of the biggest social media sites on the planet. So think about like Instagram or Twitter um, or Facebook. Imagine if I were to send like a tweet, we'll use Twitter for an example, and I would tweet out to let's say 50 people because that's the shard that I'm in. To tweet to anyone else, I'd have to leave that system and go to another system and then tweet to the next 50 people and so on and so on. So it wouldn't be what Twitter is today. Like Twitter, what makes it special is I can reach anyone that's on the platform. I, when I send something out, all my followers will hear what I have to say. I can easily DM them on the backside. I can have all these communication things with everyone on the platform. And so the whole premise of the metaverse is everyone has to be connected. And so go back to the poker idea. Dean was able to put 100,000 people, and there's only a couple of other companies that were able to achieve this goal, you know, 100,000 people in a single shard. And of course, for poker, super valuable, right? If I show up and there's only 100 people in my room, and let's say I want to play, you know, high limit poker with $100, $200 blinds, what's the chances of, you know, one of those 100 other people, you know, wanting to do the same thing that I want to do? So the whole idea is, and it's super important, is everyone has to be in the same shard and be able to find games that you want to play with with each other. And that was actually, in my opinion, the first idea of building a platform that potentially could support the idea of the metaverse uh, in that uh, perspective. And so obviously Dean was able to, uh, when he left Full Tail Poker, he started working on this technology. And the second part of this, so if you take the shard part, that's amazing what he was able to accomplish. But the second part is absolutely unbelievable from a technology standpoint. If you look at poker stars and party poker, they need between 1,000 and 2,000 computers to handle 100,000 users. He spent three years and he came up with an entirely new paradigm in network server architecture where he was able to run 100,000 users on two core of one server. 
running that entire game. And so think about the implications of running a billion dollar company. Instead of needing a thousand to two thousand computers, you can literally run it on one server. And so that all of a sudden says, what are the implications for anyone that runs a real-time application? You can see how quickly this can transition to something super special. So hopefully that, and we'll get into no, the and, and that's and that's fabulous. And th- and this is a scaling issue that that we've been dealing with since since Web One uh, yep. in a variety of different ways. And and we're talking a lot about poker, but I think a, a, a good parallel to talk about when when the floodgates open and the technology actually arrives to 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 create the experience of which the users want. And I agree. A hundred thousand, you know, half a million, whatever the number is, like everyone should be having the same experience in the metaverse. Because one of the things I see right now is the reason it's so boring is it's just isolation. You, you're there, you're by yourself, and if you are there with a few other people, you have no idea who they are. Um, it, it's hard to interact. There's there's a lot of things happening. But to jump back to the scaling issue and, and give some reference to to something we've seen recently is for a long time streaming video was was like near impossible. Um, the the first Apple TV that came out, like for anyone that doesn't remember, you had to download. Like you had to say, like I want to watch this movie. This is great, and then I'll see you in in you know a few hours when it's downloaded enough that it can start the movie. And then sometimes it would stop because hey, it 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 needs to download the rest of this, these files. Um, and I remember going through, you know, like just the, the constant struggle with that. And then suddenly, you know, MPEG-4 and the codec for, for streaming video got good enough where, and again, the original ones, they were just, you know, 720p. They were just like SD and HD. They weren't even 4K. And now we can stream 4K to a phone with minimal, um, minimal bandwidth anywhere in the world because the codecs got good enough and that unlocked just all these apps, all these streaming apps. There's an entire ecosystem, an entire economy that suddenly like, no one can, I can't live without streaming. I, I cut the cord 10 plus years ago and it was a horrible experience. Um, and today it's just like people wouldn't even think about, you know, terrestrial, uh, it, you know, watching watching shows. Am I kind of on with this, with this, like if we can figure the codec out, if you can figure out the operating system for, for metaverses, it's going to have the same effect where suddenly we're going to go from, you know, a niche thing that a couple people are using, but it's a struggle and it's hard to really the floodgates of innovation, exploration and, and innovation. It, it's actually amazing that you brought up that example and mentioned that and asked that question. And you know, the people watching this podcast are probably going to think that we had this all set up, which we didn't. But that is, <laughs> if you look at what we do on a day-to-day basis and what we're trying to solve, whatever the metaverse is, I don't want to try to define the metaverse because it's different for everyone and it, and it changes for me every single day. But one thing that we know at the core for our company that we believe to be true is that the whole of the software that we build has to be streamed. So really we're solving avatars. There's, there's been avatars around for a long time. Avatars are really good. They're very nice. The problem is when you try to build a metaverse at scale and get a hundred thousand people in there, we, we can get a hundred thousand people into a metaverse, let's say, or right now our demo on a single computer does many, many thousand. The problem isn't getting the avatars in the server. The problem is getting that quantity of avatars in a format to the client that doesn't require pre-downloading. It's all about streaming. And that includes not just the avatars, the buildings. Everything's got to be optimized to be streamable. And that example you gave with the video is perfect. You, know, you, you could theoretically say that a video is a bunch of JPEGs. I'm borrowing this example from stealing it from one of the other people on our team who really came up with it. I think it's brilliant. But a movie is just a bunch of pictures, and you could swap out the pictures very quickly, but at some point 
you can't just send a whole bunch of JPEGs across the internet and expect to be able to do that in real time and put a movie together. So you have to invent a, um, a uh, compression format like MPEG-4 that will actually compress it efficiently enough. And there's this, this moment when the bandwidth, the average bandwidth per user meets the quality of the streaming or the compression format and all of a sudden streaming is not possible. And so, yeah, sure, everything is going to get faster, bandwidth is going to get better, processes are going to get better, but there's a long way to go where a lot of the stuff that comprises what we believe the metaverse is going to require hasn't yet reached that MPEG-4 standard quality where we know that avatars need to be nearly a thousand times smaller than they currently, not maybe not a thousand, but at least a hundred times smaller than they currently are. And a lot of graphics and a lot of applications and other things need to fit into a format that is streamable so that as you wander around the metaverse, you're not, you don't have to pause and ask to download something. And that would include uh, things that you would traditionally go to app stores for, right? So normally if you want to use an app on your phone, you go find it in an app store, you opt to download it, and then it gets installed on your phone. And that process is fairly quick, let's say, unless it's a huge app, but it's, it's reasonably quick. And then you can then launch that app individually and use it. But in our metaverse, at least the one we're, we're proposing and putting together, just coming within proximity of an activity like a poker table or a self-driving car or some other game or some other um, a utility, will the software necessary to drive that will automatically be streamed to your computer and just run the whole meta. It's like in, in the real world, when you go shopping, you don't have to download a shopping app. You just walk in the store and you start buying stuff. And so that's the way that we're yep. going to be um, designing everything. And so it's all about no. it's all about streamability. If you don't have the streamability, I believe personally, you don't have the metaverse. And I love this approach, and 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 Sean, I'll, I'll kick it over to you here in a second. But I mean, this is a problem that has existed. It's not unknown. This is a problem that you know, billions of dollars have been spent on. Um, you know, let's go to the big gaming studios. You know, Xbox, PlayStation, all these ones. You know, they're they're. I think the largest game that I've seen, you know, concurrent users is like three hundred for maybe Battlefield, um, and and it has major scaling issues, major lag issues, uh, in a variety of ways, and requires you know. Uh, you know, the latest Call of Duty game, I think, maxes out at maybe uh, 50 people per side. So 100 people that will be on a shard to be able to play. And it's a 90 gigabyte download um, on, on the Xbox. I only know because I had to download it three times to three different Xboxes last night for the kids. Um, and, and that's not the experience that, that we want, correct? Like that, that doesn't scale. You know what, if you think about it, um, I like to use the, um, there was a company back in the day, I'm sure most of the people listening and, and all of us probably remember Blockbuster, right? <laughs> Blockbuster, you know, you literally had to drive to a store and rent a video. And at some point, a company, Netflix, came by and said, well, wait a minute, let me just deliver it in the mail. You know, that's a step better. People are pretty lazy. I don't want to get in the car. I don't have to go there. So if I can just pre-select something, it sends me in the mail. That's great. And then eventually Netflix says, wait a minute, this is a waste of time. Why don't we start figuring out how to stream this information at your fingertips, right? As soon as you want to consume new content, you can actually go to a site and easily stream this information. And they went to uh, Blockbuster and said, hey, you know, invest in us. You know, we're, we're the future of kind of what, you know, uh, the video and, 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 and consumer uh, downloads and, and these type of technologies are going to be super important. And Blockbuster didn't see it. 
right? They couldn't see where the puck was going. And so, of course, we know how that played out, right? Blockbuster doesn't exist anymore. Netflix is one of the largest streaming giants on the planet. And I really believe, and I think Dean alluded to it really well, is the App Store. And so we're kind of forced to play through the App Store when we talk about these real-time applications, especially in 2D. And now we're conformed to like the iOS App Store where we have to give up some of our revenue. Um, we're, we're kind of stuck through a process that doesn't open it up like what the internet does. And, and the internet was so powerful because anyone could b buy a domain, build a website and deploy it. And anyone on this planet can go find that website, do commerce or whatever it looks like and not have a company kind of control what you do in that ecosystem. And I, I really believe the future of, of gaming, and it's not just gaming. I mean, the metaverse is everything from gaming to IoT devices to expos to so many, it's, it's a myriad of things that think of anything you can do on the internet is going to happen in the metaverse just with more immersive ways. Um, but I do believe the future is going to be streaming. And so you have to start thinking about not only how do you connect all these users, but how do you stream this content through a website or, or through the web um, to any device? And, and in solving that problem, I think we're solving kind of what I, I believe the evolution of, 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 of information delivery and whatnot. Perfect. Well, Sean, let's go right into it. Let's, let's, let's hear what RP1 is working on what you, and how you guys believe you can solve this problem. Well, I think it's I think it's super important to think about the metaverse as a whole. I think we're kind of in these uh, AOL CompuServe days. Um, I, I kind of like to think about. Imagine if I built some uh, a website and and announced to everyone I built the metaverse. I mean, I built the internet. Excuse me. Yeah. So imagine every website someone builds are like, I built the internet. And, and so it's like, wait a minute, is it a website? Is it an internet? Like, what is it? And I think that's the confusion today. It's almost become an adjective for anything that happens to be immersive or VR or AR. If you throw any of these terms, just add metaverse to it and it's probably better and you're going to raise more capital. Um, I think the if you do like the heavy reading and whatnot, the metaverse is the futuration of the internet. And the idea is this, the same way we open up a browser, and we instantly can go to millions of websites. So there's guardrails that exist. We have the ability to find any website on the planet that anyone can build. Um, there's, uh, there's extensibility, meaning anyone like WordPress can show up and build a company building tools for the internet. If you look at what we have today, I believe we have lots of immersive websites. If I look at like Fortnite or Roblox or all these different kind of games or, or places that people congregate, I look at them very complicated websites. So think of like amazon.com on the internet. It, it's not a simple website. There's very complicated kind of building behind it. But the metaverse needs to be able to connect all of these pieces. It's not going to be one of experience. So imagine you're going to go in through some type of immersive browser and instantly be connected to Roblox, to Fortnite, to your, your workplace, um, to an expo, to a concert, to a, a museum. Anywhere that you want to go, you should be easily able to create some type of an account or your avatar and easily be able to move to any of these experiences seamlessly. And to do this, you're going to have to create new technologies because right now we're only limited. Um, if you look at horizons, they're in the 15 to 20 range as far as how many people can congregate together. Um, you know, obviously they don't connect to Roblox. Um, they, uh, if you look at like Decentral and all these other places, everyone's pretty much limited to under 100 people and they have to shard those systems and there's no interoperability. And so I think at some point you have to say, um, Current forums and standard forums are trying to figure out how to connect these legacy systems together, which I don't believe is going to solve the problem. And most visionaries say the metaverse is actually 10 to 20 years away until hardware can actually solve this scale problem. 
Like how do we actually put a billion people in one architecture and allow them to move in and out of different experiences and either share them together by themselves or in the public? The same way, like if I go to a museum, I may want to bump into somebody that shares the same interest in Van Gogh, or I may just want to be there with my friends. And I have that option in the metaverse. But you need that, that shardless system that can scale to everyone on the planet. And currently, you know, again, being only at 15, how do you get there? So RP1 has basically built a revolutionary way of network server architecture where we can actually scale to everyone on the planet being in the same network server architecture. And then we're also building the ability to deploy your own immersive website into the system where you're naturally interoperable in the sense where you can move from different experiences. So imagine you're literally walking around in a street and you can walk over and start playing Beat Saber with friends that have its own location. And so I can instantly send a link out into the internet and you and I can show up together through a browser and instantly start playing together with the two of us, with other people, maybe a thousand people are watching us. It changes the way you think about deploying this content at a level of scale that never was thought was possible. And so I'll give you a great example. I can describe it, but if you think about our first demo, it's pretty darn amazing. We're putting 4,000 full fidelity avatars in a one square kilometer VR space, all being streamed on the web with no pre-compiled uh, downloads. It's absolutely extraordinary. And uh, we've met with the, some of the biggest tech companies and they're like, how are you doing this? We're, we're spending billions of dollars trying to figure out this problem and we're at 15 and you're running 4,000 plus people on literally one server. So we're not only addressing the scale problem, but also one the cost. One old server uh, go ahead. too. Yes, it is a six-year-old server. So it's not like we have some special GPU or, or CPU. It's really the, the magic that Dean has created in software efficiency. Um, and it's just, it, it takes someone, and, and I don't mind going on a tangent. I hope you don't mind me going on a tangent. No, no, I love this. Keep going. What makes inventors special are ones that are not uh, clouded by kind of how you're supposed to do things. Right. So if someone were to start building architecture, I, I get I get a lot of people would come in and build it the way you're supposed to. But the way you're supposed to is what's limiting us to reach another level. And everyone just says, well, if we can only hit this level, that means that we it just doesn't. That's the most we can get out of hardware. So everyone just blames the hardware and says there's no more we can go. And then Dean here doesn't think that way. He thinks more like math, like what's possible and is able to think in a way that other architects cannot. And he gets in there and tinkers for three years and discovers something. And it's 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 to me, it's almost like discovering light. It's uh, you know, it's so impactful what he has created. But it takes someone with a light bulb to go off and say, "I got it. Like I've solved an issue." And to be able to solve that issue now, translate that to something that's needed, like the metaverse. It just made complete sense. And so that's why we created the demo to show what most people thought was like, I mean, we came out on Gamesbeat with Dean Takahashi and he was like, look, what you're saying is amazing. You need to come into our metaverse platform and talk about it. And he's like, I understand you have no demo. I know it's all talk, but it's an important conversation. And I'll tell you, we actually got a kind of a unique response. People were like, okay, they sound like they know what they're talking about. It, it's, it sounds like they may get there, but I don't believe you. Come on, we're we're at 15 people. Here's a multi-billion dollar organization here, 15. Here's one that could do 20. The idea of getting into thousands, 10,000s, or even millions, you know, come on, that's decades out. We'll figure that problem out somehow with either hardware. And so that's why we actually built the demo because we had to start getting proof points out there. And uh, so when we brought people in for the demo for the very first time, the response has been unbelievable. They're like, this is the first time I actually felt presence 
in a true metaverse and in what could be the metaverse, meaning we can connect everyone going in and out of these different applications. And it was just one of those jaw dropping moments where people are like, how did you do this? And of course, our first answer is we can't tell you, but we still want to partner with you because we don't want to build it all. You know what I mean? We want to partner with the entire industry to make this possible. So, Yeah. And, and just as a real quick note for, for everyone watching, I, I have gone into the demo. In fact, uh, I brought a what I would refer to as an expert uh, into the demo. I brought my 15-year-old son um, because that's the technology of, of who we're really building this for. Um, and I have to say that was that was maybe about a month ago. And still he's asking when he can when he can go in and show his friends this because you know they're online every single day they're playing games every day they're they're Xbox PlayStation you know uh, iPad they're they're constantly interacting like their lives are online and in in a in a demo of which there was only six or seven of us real people mm-hmm. filled with with you know again you guys were just generating you know the the all the inputs of which if it was a real person this is what they would be you know maxing out on there he said it was the first time he's been online that he felt like there was people there, um, that he wasn't in isolation by being online or, or in any way going to miss out. And I think that that's something that we really need to, to remember is that we're trying to, with, with an immersive experience like, like Meta, um, not Meta the company, but Metaverse, the, the, the concept here, we're trying to eliminate the isolation that people are feeling. Yep. And, and the reason why Dean had never heard of this prior to, to COVID and quarantine is because... Why? You can go to a concert any day of the week. You can go to the mall. You can do anything you want. But suddenly when we lost that freedom, now we need an alternative. And it has mm-hmm. to be, it's never going to be a one-to-one replacement for real life, but it has to ha- elicit some of those feelings that people have. And I think that's why Zoom has become so prevalent during this this time or video conferencing during this, because we at least get to see people, but it's in small chunks. Dean, what, you know, kind of thinking about the problem of, of interconnecting, you know, people, um, and, and, and doing this in a shardless environment where you can have, let's just say, 100,000 people, you know, experiencing the same thing at the same time. What's the limitations, you know, from there? Like audio, video, I mean, interacting, purchasing is, is once you've kind of got that base level shard solved, does it scale well from there or is it more problems that will arise? So the goal is to make everything as seamless as possible. Um, there are seams across the fabric of the metaverse that are potentially just completely invisible where you don't realize there's a seam there, but there is a dividing line. So it, it, when we do put a hundred thousand people in the next demo or then it'll be a million and then it'll be multiple millions. These are just all the information and everything that we're processing will be distributed across a large network of computers. And the trick is to actually, when you do put, you know, I, I could be in, in an area of the metaverse and you could be in an area of the metaverse that's really, really, really close to me, but technically we're being handled on two different computers and potentially even two different computers in two different data centers across the planet. And the trick is to actually create a, um, that seam right there where you can't even tell. And we can, for the most part, we'll be able to do that um, and we'll demonstrate that quite well in the next demo. Um, uh, you both you and John touched on a number of points and you even mentioned like some of the games are limited to 50 people or limited to a hundred people. And when we, when we throw out numbers like 4,000 people or a hundred thousand people in the metaverse, I will point out that our goal isn't necessarily to create one individual activity that is participated by a hundred thousand people simultaneously. 
I'm sure that will happen. I have no doubt that there will be stadiums that will be rich in audio and experience, and that will just be a byproduct of what's available in the, in the metaverse. But that's still not the primary goal of what we're doing. So when we say we want to get 100,000 people, it's more for your um, your son, who was your son, right, that, um, yeah. that doesn't want to miss out or doesn't want to miss out on the connections of the people who wander through the space. Really, what, what we're looking at in terms of what the metaverse can, can provide, it's, it's about the social graph. And if you, if you think about the social graph of a game, especially a first-person shooter game where your goal is to kill everyone as quickly as possible, you don't have a very large social graph. You're, you go and you play Fortnite, the game lasts half an hour, hour, everyone's dead by the end, and you don't have any long-term relationships that are going to last past the end of the game. And then you go play another game, and you just meet a whole bunch of random new people, and you don't really meet them. You just try to kill them. So in something like the metaverse, which is more closely related to a, a long-term social media, we're talking about a, a game or an experience that lasts for much more than half an hour or much more than an hour or even a day, a week, or a month. Theoretically, if the metaverse were really big, as I believe it, uh, will be in the future. Um, the, uh, the the social graph will have to last your entire lifetime. People will be born, will join the metaverse, and they will carry their persona on for the duration of their lifetime. So, what we're talking about is getting a hundred thousand people together, such that, or a million people, or a billion people together, such that you can discover new friends, meet people with shared interests, and then meet up with as few. Um, as few obstacles as possible. And that's where the seamless comes in. So I can either talk to you, you know, on a back end channel or I'm in one location, you're in another location and we can just have a conversation while we're doing our own thing separately, or we can just decide to get together and go explore a museum together, or go explore some fancy world together that we've never been to take a vacation together, so to speak. So, I mean, there's a lot of technical challenges in, in, in making those scenes go away. Um, and there will always be some limit, I would imagine, somewhere that I guess will improve over time as we discover them and solve them. But um, I, I can imagine right now a lot of the problems that I'm dealing with are going to be problems that we won't have to worry about for a very long time. We're talking millions and millions of users before we start to encounter some of the problems that I'm I, I love that answer and that thought. You know, so let's let's bring this back this discussion over to I think what something that will resonate with a lot of people. So let's let's talk about the idea of of lots of metaverses, um, and and kind of where things are going. And I think that's the reason why web works. You know, web one works um, is it was an entire industry of standards that were created. So you can have the Chrome browser, Safari browser, Firefox. I'm sure there's like three Opera users out there that are, that are still really beholden to there. But you can go around to all the different websites and, and get relatively with a 99.9% .9 the same experience that those browsers know how to render this, they know how to manage it. All the heavy lifting and the, and the big processes are being handled by the servers in the background. Um, if you had to download a different browser for every single website you went to, there would be a lot of, of not just people excluded, um, but there would be a lot of, you know, again, just content that no would never be seen or be able to shared. Um, and it would kind of reference the, the ones that were able to 
you know, Betamax versus VHS, somebody's going to win and someone's going to lose. Um, so, so when we're talking about, you know, metaverse, metaverses and gaming, I, you know, I, my belief is it's the evolution of, of a web page. You know, web one was, uh, you know, on a, on a traditional screen here, web two is mobile and, and web three is going to be the ability to have, you know, you can still look at it on your phone. You can still look at it on your, your computer. But now if you want to put on a headset or you want to see an immersive view, uh, of something that there's that, that extra layer that you can enter interact with. Um, is that what you guys are, are kind of envisioning a little bit as well? I, I tell you, you are on fire with your questions. You're totally on point because that, that is the, <laughs> you've, you've watched all my podcasts, I'm assuming. And again, that's why, and I will you know, reiterate, this was not pre-discussed, but that is the crux of really, again, what, what we work on on a day-to-day basis. And so I will admit we are approaching the metaverse from a different angle from other people. If you go into our demo, the first thing you'll probably notice is it doesn't look great. It's not particularly, let's just say there's not a lot of eye candy there. If there's a, if there's a big thing to point out about our demo, it's kind of not very attractive. It's all about the server side stuff. And so, but we're looking at it from a different angle. Our goal is to, is to solve the problems that have to be solved, which relate to scalability and interoperability and lots of other problems that if you can't solve those problems, there's no point in making it look good. A lot of other companies are focused on trying to make something that looks really good and assume that maybe Moore's Law or alien technology will solve the bigger problems. But we're saying let's solve the bigger problems first. And so we're creating a whole bunch of technology that we need to solve the problems that we're facing. And so what we don't want to do is we don't want to take these technologies we build and and set them in stone and say, here, you must use these or you are completely incompatible with us or or go away, right? That's not what we're going to do. What what we are going to do very, very soon, I'm going to start this like to say any day now, let's call it any week or any month now, but we're going to take what we've gathered, what we've put together, and then we're going to start opening it up to the world. And we will say, this is our best guess at what we need. It's pretty good. It gets us to this next phase. We think it can be better and it can be better if the whole world participates in helping us bring these technologies and standards to the next level. By all means, incorporate the technologies that you need into these technologies that we've kind of are proposing and together, as long as we can build a technology that works for us, that, that satisfies the bare minimum, whatever the world decides on, we will also adopt and interoperate with. And, and then we welcome lots of different companies and other companies that want to create their own metaverses or we'll call them competing metaverses or compatible metaverses, whatever they're building. If we all, decide that for streaming purposes, this standard is necessary or that standard is necessary. And no one had thought of this before, but, oh, look, yeah, we do need that. Um, Once we all agree that these are the components that are necessary for an infinite universe world, one that supports millions of people with streaming and all these different components, um, we'll get on board and share in in the technologies that we've developed. We're like, we're open sourcing 100% of our client-side code. Our server-side code is going to remain a little bit secretive, but our client-side code, we are committed to open sourcing 100% of it and working with the world on standards and adopting whatever people decide is, is the best stuff. I, I, I really, like, I mean, that's that's 
mind blowing to think about from that perspective. And I think that let's let's take a second and really talk through what you just said there. Um, the largest company right now today focused on metaverse is, is Facebook slash Meta. Um, Fifteen billion dollars was the last article I saw that they invested, and in, and it looks looks like garbage, runs like garbage. And there's no one that's interested. They can't even get their own staff to use it. Um, and I think part of the problem. That, that from my perspective, entirely my opinion, um, is because it's designed around this, like the, the thought around the Oasis, like ready, ready player one, you know, it seems like, you know, Zuckerberg loved the, uh, the idea that there's one metaverse and you're going to come into this one metaverse and everything is perfect. It's the most amazing thing you could ever have. And one person theoretically can own and design, you know, the entire like second world that exists. Um, I, I disagree. And I think the, the, the marketplace disagrees that we just, don't believe we need Facebook to be the beholders of, of our alternate universe. Um, you guys are on the other side saying anyone should be able to make this content and it should interconnect, but no one person, irregardless, uh, should have control over, over you know, the next version of, of the internet. Yeah, I, I think the, you know, you, you've hit a, a couple of amazing points and I, and I think there's a lot of problems with the metaverse. I think we can all agree, right? So if I'm a developer, where do I go build my, my immersive experience, right? Do I go to Altspace? Do I go to Horizons? Do I go to Decentraland? Like I have all of these options. And you actually said something really key. What makes the internet work is there's one. There's standards and guardrails, and then everyone can participate at any level, right? Anyone can build something. It's very abundant. It's very easy to get a domain and build a website. If you're a no-code, low-code, or full-code, you have all your options. You can sit there and fully program your own website. You can go to Squarespace and have someone that gives you something that's pre-made. You have marketplaces that exist all over the place. These are all companies that have their own revenue streams. They have their own ability to play in this ecosystem. And I always, you know, I always asked a question, what would happen if we had a thousand internets? And it wouldn't be what the World Wide Web is today because as a business, where do I build my website? Yep. And as a consumer, which internet do I go to to find that website? And so it becomes so convoluted, it would never work. And so the reason why the internet, and, and AOL tried to do that, CompuServe tried to do that, everyone tried to control the window into this internet, but guess what eventually won? Once people figured out that this is a system that anyone can build on, eventually they built something that was open and you just couldn't compete anymore. Now it was just the World Wide Web that anyone can participate. So the same thing's happening all over again because... It's not as simple as building a website. The complexity of building a real-time immersive experience is extremely expensive. It's very hard to do. And obviously, as we've, we've talked to or alluded to, it's really hard to scale. So at some point, if I'm a small developer, I have to figure out a platform to work with because they've spent the tens of millions of dollars to give me the tools and things necessary to build something. But then they conform me into these rules on what I can or cannot do. And so if you, I kind of do the sniff test. If you, if you can't build tools on a platform, then it's not a metaverse. If I, if I don't own all my own revenue, it's not a metaverse. I don't own my own data, it's not a metaverse. And so then the question is then, which one is the metaverse? And I, I really see all of these as websites. They're, these are the, 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 I believe all these things that we're talking about will exist together on some type of standards. And then anyone else will be able to build a, another Roblox or Decentraland and people will then decide which website quote unquote, is better or where I want to go to because of the, the crowd, the, the, the feature sets, all these things. And so I think what's happening right now is because of technology can't enable the bigger picture, let's just go build a little websites, intranets, if you will, right? Yeah. And that's kind of what happened in the World Wide Web, right? Everyone built their own intranet, but at some point, 
you know, once the internet grew, then it was like, wait a minute, I get it. Let's now build our own websites that allow us to connect these pieces. So I think the metaverse, we're trying to think of it as, what if we were to forget about what technology exists today? We obviously know there's caps and limitations. What would it take to build that? Those guardrails, the things that allow everyone to participate. And the first thing, obviously, that you have to solve is first, how do you put everyone together? And if you can build that, then let's reach out to all the companies that have expertises in identity, in front-end graphics, in tools. We would love for tool companies to come in and build their tool, just like uh, WordPress, and build that in the RP1 system. And they own all the rights to their tools, how they want to monetize. If you're a consumer or a developer, you come in, you own your revenue, you own your data. And as a business, you're going to say, wait a minute, now that there is one, because the onboarding issue is probably the number one problem with metaverse is because no one knows where to go. Like, why am I going to spend time going to this small ecosystem when this stuff hasn't played out yet? And I think once you launch a platform that connects everybody and then open up the guardrails to say anyone can build the next layer of whatever you want. And I, I believe multiple billion dollar companies will build their module or their building blocks on top of the foundational layer that we're, we're launching. And for me, that is what's gonna help onboard the metaverse because now you build one identity and now I can go, go to millions of uh, immersive experiences. And I believe Roblox and Fortnite and all these companies will eventually build on top of this because once there's a big enough crowd, you're, you're gonna wanna have that experience where you have that option or someone else will build it. You know what I mean? That's, that's kind of what's gonna happen. Yeah, it, it, the, the example I'd give on this one to, to put some context for, for the audience listening that may not understand this, this is the, this is the difference between uh, Broadway and YouTube. Uh, on Broadway, it is a big heavy lift. There's very few people that are going to be able to produce a Broadway or off-Broadway show. You're going to spend a lot of time, energy, and money kind of getting everything together, producing this content, and then you're going to invite people in and you're, you can have absolutely amazing success. You can be cats and have you know 20 years of, of, of audiences and everything else, but you're never going to scale and you're never going to reach the audience levels you can of YouTube where anyone can suddenly create content, they can create their audience, they can have their own, their own persona and identity online and and they can interact with others you know quickly and fluidly with no with no you know with guardrails of course um but but really again it's more a matter of innovation um because if someone doesn't want to use, go to youtube.com they can embed the video somewhere else and so um I, I think it's an entirely you know just destructive way that we have to kind of look at what is out there today i don't want to go into a facebook meta i just don't i'm so sorry i it's it, it is the, the time and energy to integrate myself and spend time on it, I, I just know it's going to reach a dead end somewhere. Like it's just because that's the way it is because it's a single company with a singular vision. Whereas what Dean is is talking about creating here is that, again, anyone should be able to create, you know, some sort of metaverse, some sort of immersive experience. Um, and if it if it reaches enough people and they, they kind of resolve with it, um, it, it it should be free to everyone. So my, my next question to, to pull back in is, Web three, you know, we generally think of you know crypto, cryptocurrencies, blockchain technologies, uh, and metaverse all kind of as like Web three, <laughs> but in reality, they're like metaverse and 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 blockchain are like two entirely different conversations. Um, they just so happen to be maturing at the same pace at the same time. What's your guys? Uh, either one of you can answer. What's your kind of concept for how to integrate uh, blockchain technologies uh, in, into RP one, and why does it make sense? Uh I'm a little, I don't want to say I'm a tinfoil hat guy. I'm a little wary of blockchains and, um, and those technologies specifically in thinking that they are the solution to all 
problems in the future. They might be great tools, but there are problems. There are some really smart people who have pointed out that decentralized um, blockchain technology do not always act in a decentralized manner and that they may, in fact, create a large degree of centralization. Um, anonymity is the last thing you would associate with a blockchain because everything is public and the tools are out there to pretty much pinpoint every single transaction to a real human being on the planet right now. So uh, a lot of the things that, um, that you'd think they'd be good for, it turns out, they may not be good for it. There, there are some things that we are planning on using blockchain technology for, but we're definitely not planning on making them the bedrock of the entire system. I know that there are platforms out there who are creating a metaverse, who are saying, yes, we're creating a metaverse on the blockchain. Everything is decentralized. Everything is is um, on a public ledger. And that's the, the premise of their system is based exclusively or entirely on that. Uh, whereas our premise is based on scalability and operability and things that are necessary to actually make the technology work. Um, there's definitely going to be usefulness for blockchains, um, but it's not the bedrock. It's not the foundation of making a system work if efficiently or optimally. In fact, it's probably the opposite of what you'd want, right? If, if, if a company trying their best to get, you know, 15 people or 20 people into a metaverse, just doing it any old way, they can figure out how to make it work. Um, if you are going to constrain yourself to building yourself on a blockchain, you can probably drop that number substantially rather than increase that number. So it's really going the wrong direction. Yeah, I, I, was, just gonna, I was just gonna add to that. I think, um, you know, Dean used the perfect word. I, I look at blockchain as a tool. Right. And I, and I think we're in the early days of these tools because I don't think they were initially built for real time applications and the idea of how to interact and, and store that type of data and have it uh, easily accessible. Um, I think the the future is going to be lots of new blockchains that I'm sure will be built. And I believe those should be tools and the decision on the developer themselves on how they want to use those tools. So if those tools make the experience better in their area of the metaverse that they want to build out, then so be it, right? It's not for a company to dictate this is the type of blockchain technology or this is what we're going to conform to and everyone has to participate. I think the whole premise of an open system is to allow different technologies, different modules to be built, and then it's up to the person building their area. So if Disneyland comes in and says, we're going to build a replication of Disneyland in the metaverse, um, and it's important for us to have some type of identity piece or store the data in a certain way for, from a business use case, then they're going to do their research. They're going to figure out what are the necessary technologies to make that happen. Obviously, those things need to comply with the scale and the, 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 the guardrails that we're introducing into the industry. And then it's up to Disneyland to figure out what tools they want to build and, and deliver a, an, an experience that consumers are happy about. It's not for RP1 to sit here and dictate and say, these are the type of tools you should use or this is how you should do things. Because I think a lot of people are pushing blockchain even into gaming and i think people are struggling saying well what is the experience how does it make it the experience better right like let's not just use it for argument's sake or freedom or this and as dean alluded to there's there's a lot of problematic things with some of these technologies where i think people are misled into really how free you are in these systems and how they work and i think it's 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 we have to think about what is the final delivery of experience that you want to deliver and then you figure out what technology you need to support that, and then you build it, right? And so the same way that you have the freedom of building a website and picking all the tools and things that you want to do and deploy, I believe in, in a metaverse, you know, when you go to build your experience, you should have that, you know, those choices, if you will, and then deploy an experience that could be amazing. 
I, I love that answer. And it's it's very clear you guys are hyper focused on on a large problem and you're gonna make sure that the, the tools and the resources are available for others. You know, going back to our original concept of of you know the MPEG MPEG four um, streaming involvement, um, the people that developed that protocol, the people that, that built it, um, you know, that whether you're streaming to your phone, a computer, an Apple TV, uh, wherever the case is, that's that's up to them. Uh, the content that's that's made and produced in the movies and the shows, like, hey, that's up to the the creator and the users to figure it all out. You guys are quite simply just the ones that are going to allow uh, for the rails to exist and for the products to scale, um, because that's the one thing that that will kill any innovation faster. Is if you do hit that viral moment, you do hit that that scalability moment, and you cannot take advantage of that. If you if somebody f- creates a metaverse, um, you know that, and 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 let's just say concerts, live events have been the number one thing for for all metas so far. Um, and, and 5, 10, 100 million people want to go experience this concert. If you don't have a roadmap to onboard them, um, you know, I talk a lot about, about like Google circles, like Google was in the prime position at the prime time to overtake, you know, Facebook at a point when nobody was like wanting Facebook and Google's, hey, here's our social network, but no, you can't come in. Like it's here, but we're only taking like, you know, a couple people a day. And by the time that they figured out the scaling issues, by the time they got it all done, nobody cared and they discontinued the product, you know, about a year later. So I I think that you're entirely right that you guys are attacking a problem that irregardless of how amazing someone builds a metaverse, if they can't solve that scalability problem, you know, or have an inroads to solve that scalability problem from day one, doesn't matter how pretty it is. I've been in gorgeous metaverses. I mean, I, there's not one out there I don't think that I've visited and I've left going, I've seen it. There's nothing to go back to. Um, but I would bring a friend, but I can't bring a friend, you know, and you can't bring, you can't do these things. So I'm really excited uh, to see to see how this scales here in the future. I, I will say though, going back to the question you asked, and I know I gave probably a fairly negative answer, but there are three or five no, no. things that we are eyeing for uh, inclusion of Web3 type. Technologies. If you're interested, I can enumerate those. Um, but go. Uh, I'm not going to stop. You think I'm going to stop you? Listen, so you're, the, it, you're the genius in the room. I'm just the guy. It's not that we're entirely mic. skeptical. <laughs> we're just we have a healthy skepticism. We just want to make sure we're, we're we're doing choosing the right technology for the right reason. So, but not in any particular order. So, identity. We we believe that um, uh, identity should be owned by the user. So what we expect to happen in the future won't be for this next demo, but expect that your own identity owned by you, which would include all of your persona, personal settings, um, passwords, and everything that's necessary to get into the site will be owned on your own identity blockchain. And we will just interface with an identity blockchain. And and so it wouldn't be tied to one technology. So if Google had, um, a blockchain and Amazon had one and Microsoft had one and Crucible has one and anyone else who wants to create an identity blockchain, you can use that to log into our system and, and to provide the security between your account and our system. And then, so forget about emails and passwords. It would just go through an identity piece and that would be blockchain oriented. Um, obviously we will be heavily supporter, uh, supportive of payment processing on a blockchain. That's not to say that it'll be exclusive of it. If someone wants to use credit cards, cell phone payments, Western Union, you know, PayPal, any payment processor will work, but we also want to make it very convenient to use um, cryptocurrencies too, whatever is convenient. So there would be some form of a, a um, crypto component. Uh, microblogging, we're eyeing for um, uh, blockchain technology. This is 
would be the future iteration of, let's say, Twitter or um, Instagram, somewhere in the metaverse. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of problems in running and operating a site like that. I know from some experience uh, in my, is my belief that, that running uh, microblogging through a blockchain solves almost all the problems, both from the user's perspective and from the operator's perspective. It's like a win-win-win all the way around, even from the regulator's perspective. That's the third win. So the users win, operators win, and regulators win. Government, we'll just call them governments win. So that's another place where we would expect it. Um, uh, the fourth place we would use blockchain would be in um, uh, land records and ownership. You know, the, the metaverse is made up of spaces, recording who has control of or ownership over which spaces blockchain might be a great place to store that's public record and then as a far fifth i'm sure nfts will work their way into the metaverse we're not um i don't want to say we're not gung-ho on nfts i'm sure they're useful for something they will be useful i'm sure nfts will work their way in there but we're not gonna it's not like the whole metaverse is founded on exclusively nfts so nfts will find their way in there whether it's you know, hanging artwork or identifying ownership or really what I see NFTs, uh, primary use of them is, you know, chain of the whole provenance uh, of a artwork or uh, intellectual property, right? So, yeah, and I got to tell you, with those answers, you guys are very much looking to integrate blockchain technologies. I mean, those are the correct answers. I I think that some people get confused, like one of the worst uses for blockchain technology is, is streaming services or hosting, um, you know, content on there. I mean, it's, it's a ledger. That's what it is. It's designed for exactly that. And the concept of, you know, is we're, especially we're talking about, you know, metaverses, hundreds of thousands of metaverses all running on potentially an RP1 code. Um, that is the one thing that I think we want from the Ready Player uh, One movie is that, I have my avatar. This is me. This is my identity. And whether I want to go play poker, I want to go play a video game, or I want to go interact uh, and, and watch a concert or something, that that the the avatar that I choose should be free floating back and forth versus me having to have oh it's you know I'm going to a brand new experience on a brand new website. Right now, everyone's a guest. Um, but imagine if every website you showed up to, you could instantly say, "Here's who I am," and, and I don't need to talk to you. And I, I think Apple uh, Apple Wallet has, has solved a little bit of that, and it's been great to see. So I, I think that you guys are very much blockchain techno- technologists, um, but you're just focused on a very different uh, problem right now. So there's, there's nothing I, wrong with that. What, and I think the power. Oh, go ahead. I was say, whatever Web three brings, and whatever it is that we're going to integrate into RP one and our metaverse technology, it is one core concept, which is that users own their own content, and so that's what blockchain supposedly okay. offers, and that's what um, identity would offer, and that's what we want to incorporate. So if it if it satisfies that goal, then we welcome including it within our stuff. If it's there, just because people think it's, you know, currency assets, users have to own their own. And and that would apply specifically when I say microblogging, right? Right now, if you, if you post a blog on Twitter, Instagram, and Twitter decides they don't like your um, account anymore and they shut you off, you've just lost all of your content. If you microblog into your, if you blog into your own, blockchain and you own it, you can then syndicate that out to other companies. So now Twitter just becomes a syndication site. Just like if yep. you if you um, if you publish a cartoon and put it in the newspaper, you control the cartoon and the newspaper is just rebroadcasting what you've 
we've done. And that's the way I see blogging in the future. Nice. And that actually solves problems for, for all sorts of different reasons. But that's, that's a super powerful thing. You own your content. You control it. You decide that Twitter has the right to publish your content, not the other way around. And if Twitter decides they don't want your content anymore, fine. They don't have to carry it. You can, you still own it and you can still publish it on another site. I'm sure some other site will raise their hand and say, we'll take it. You know, you can publish it over here. We'll yep. take all your customers. So, yeah. Love it. Love it. But I think the technology, you know, and just, just a small point, I believe when we stop using the terms NFT, that's when it goes mainstream, <laughs> when it just happens, right? I think the, you know, we're, we're super excited about the idea of ownership and making sure that if I resell something, and believe me, you know, protecting the artist and the creator and the users are super important. And I think this is what these technologies promise. So everyone's kind of gung-ho about these new terminologies because it's a way for me to make sure I make money today. And if someone sells it six months from now, I make money and I can track all these transactions and it, the promises of it are, are, are quite astounding, right? It's going to change the idea of how we look at who owns what and the value that you bring to a system. And I think those promises of what gets this conversation so juicy, and there's a lot of passion behind it. But I think if we want to onboard the rest of the world, we have, we, you know, a wallet can't be something that you have to, you know, do 10 steps to figure out. It should just work, right? It's kind of like, it, it's funny, there's um, the IPFS solution with like historical uh, storage or whatnot. And it was funny because there's like all these steps that we learned about these technologies or whatnot. And I'm like, I go, if we have to explain this to anyone, that's not when it's going to go mainstream. When it works like Dropbox, where I literally just put a file and somehow all the magic and all the things that you just described to me just works then if it's blockchain, whatever technology behind there works, it's like to a consumer or to a business, it's like, hey, it just works. It's a great system and because it has great technology behind there. When you lead with these terms, everyone's just like NFT. And again, I guess it's fun to throw out the term like it's, hey, NFT this and NFT that. It makes it more conversational. But I think when those technologies just solve the problems and you don't have to worry about them, then they're mainstream. And I think that's when we get to a point where these technologies really make a big, a, a big difference on these platforms. I, I, compl I completely wholeheartedly agree. Yep. Uh, when the technology becomes invisible, which is exactly the way it is in, in almost every, like nobody understands what, what Amazon S3 or Azure is doing to, to deliver content around the web. They don't care. Does it work or does it not? Yep. And I think that that's a really the, the important point that you guys have made here today is, is there's a very big piece of, of the architecture that's missing, that's broken, and, and you have not yet seen anyone else that has uh, solved this problem and you believe you have inroads to make it happen. But at the end of the day, you guys are just a piece of the puzzle. Um, there's a lot of other technologies that need to be <clears throat> evolved and, and really focused on to get to the point where even if RP1, you meet your goals and you can have 10 million people on a single shard, you see, there's still a lot of other pieces that that others are going to have to come with and and partner to, to create, um, you know, what will be an open, uh, immersive experience for, for anyone in the world to be able to experience, which is very similar to what Web 1 and Web 2 had, had resolved for us. I agree. Dean, it was really amazing to, to see 4,000 um, individual kind of instances on a single shard. And, and I know the, the graphics are, are nothing to, to get excited about. But again, it was the concept, it was the audio. I got to tell you, the audio was really kind of a, a brought brought me and brought my son into kind of the, that experience. Um, what, what's kind of next? I know you guys are working on your next iteration of, of that demo, and we talked about it a couple months ago. Um, where are you guys at today, and what's that yeah, roadmap look like? Um that demo was a really big milestone for us because we've been talking about it for a year and no one believed us. I mean, everyone's like, that's impossible. We, we talked to a few people like, if you get anything more than a hundred, I just frankly don't believe it at all. Period. It's just not possible. 
And so we brought people in and, and we've got 4,000 in there. And so for a while, we just we encountered a lot of disbelief. But now enough people have read about it. So when they come into the demo, they are like, okay, well, it works. Obviously, everyone's been talking about it. I want to see it for myself. And then they get that experience of audio or um, presence um, that, that really makes it exciting. Um, our next demo... Oh, let's also say the current demo is invite only, and we bring people in and hold their hands and walk them to the demo. The next demo will be public. Um, it will just be open. You'll be able to go to the website, go in as a guest, just walk right in. Probably won't even have to create an account. You can create an account, save your settings, and and start playing around in there. And there will be reason to hang out there, and there will be reason to go back. Um, it is incredibly important to us that we create something that has value. It's it's like you've mentioned, you go into a lot of the other metaverses and even our current demo. Once you've seen the demo, you're like, wow, it's amazing. I didn't know this technology existed, but we know as well as you, there's no reason to go back to the demo. There's nothing left there other than the one and only one experience you have right now. So we're creating something in the next demo that will have value that will instantly say, I could come back tomorrow, experience something new, or continue to build on the experience that I started. Um, I will also say that we're targeting 100,000 people in the space, so 4,000 to 100,000, shardless, full-fidelity avatars. We're talking, obviously, uh, spatial audio, um, uh, full hand, finger, eye movement. It'll probably be better than what you have, better avatars, better quality, everything. But here's what I'm going to say, and it's hard to explain this, and it's hard to imagine this, but trust me, when you get in there, and if you dive into the technology, and especially if you're a developer, and we will be inviting developers to build and contribute to the next demo, the 100,000 user milestone that we've been kind of touting or saying we can do will be insignificant. It is not a significant factor of what the next demo is about. It's an asterisk. It's like, oh, yeah, there's 100,000 people. It's exciting. Big whoop. Because it's the other stuff that we are introducing. It's the way in which our metaverse operates. It's the way in which people can develop. We have this thing we call the activity stack, which we believe is a revolutionary way of designing software. The scalability we will introduce at a later time that will allow everyone to experience what we experience with our poker site, where instead of a thousand computers, you only need a couple core. That will be a key component of what we are offering um, in a future iteration of, of a release once we're in, in a bigger product. But at least in the next demo, you will be able to experience moving in and out seamlessly of different experiences, different games. You will not only feel presence, but I'm promising that you will feel an openness like you've never felt. I've heard people say, like, if you go into different demos or different experiences now, that you're really going from one snow globe to another. It's very claustrophobic. Even when you put in your headset and you go into your home, your home room, you can't leave the room. Yep. I just want to, like, I just want to go downstairs and explore. And we're going to provide an openness. So you'll have both presence and openness, a whole universe that you feel like you'll be able to explore, like you've never imagined before. And so, there's all these different things, and if I, I believe, like you said, audio was big for you. A lot of people find audio. So 4,000 users does not always register as the number one feature of our thing. But when people go into our next demo, you list all the things that they think were like really either mind-blowing or exciting or that really was felt, I think the 100,000 user mark will be third or fourth on the list. I don't even think it's going to register wow. in the top three, probably. I'm ex I, I, I can't wait. 
Um, Sean, for for anyone that's interested, wants to kind of know more, get get involved, invest. What what are what are uh, where are you guys sitting today? Yeah, we've been really fortunate. Um, you know, we uh, use the term uh, bootstrap. We have great founders that have helped really, uh, you know, help build this company from a financial perspective. So we haven't taken any outside capital, um, but that's going to change. We actually just finished our deck and we are looking to raise uh, a sizable amount of capital. Um, we're probably looking to bring about $100 million into the company um, in uh, from the get-go. And I think that's the only round we'll probably ever have to do. And so we, we kind of proposed the idea that if you had a chance to invest in, you know, the internet back in the day, what would that look like today? And uh, we're hopeful that we'll have quite a few partners that want to, you know, be a part of this journey with us. Um, but I think that the bigger thing is really figuring out how to partner with the industry. Um, we've reached out to the top gaming engines. Um, the responses have been unbelievable. I mean, we've had, um, you know, I want to get into the, you know, two biggest game engines. One of the guys was, you know, been there for 15 years, said it was the best demo of technology he's seen his entire career. And um, they all are like, how are you doing this is the first question. And the second thing is, we don't know how to partner with you. We got to, like, like, we didn't know someone out there is doing what you're doing. Now we have to figure out what does that look like to engage. And so for us, it's not about actually competing with those companies whatsoever. In fact, for us, we want to partner with everyone to help make it easier, more efficient, and really bring these pieces together. And so for us, it would be partnering with the gaming engines, maybe like a Unity where they can be the tool company on our system and build out elaborate tools for all the developers where they can deploy web-based uh, you know, content um, into the RP1 system, um, potentially work with like Unreal and Epic um, to actually figure out and solve how do you get Unreal-level graphics to be able to stream in real time um, through the web um, and really start building uh, like uh, identity companies and, and really start figuring out other companies' expertises that can bring to the table and help these building blocks um, um, and so for us, like Dina has alluded to, we're taking a stab at a lot of these things, like the activity stack, the avatar system. But we do hope that someone will take that baton and take it to the next level. But you have to still build the first. It's kind of like you built the internet. You got to build a few websites first, right? You got to show what, what it means to be a website, how you find the website, how do you interact with that website. And then once people are like, oh, I get it. And wow, it's cheap and it's easy and I can move from one website to another. So that's really what Demo 2 is going to accomplish. The idea right. that you can easily just go through a link and start playing a game and there's no downloads. People are just going to be like, wait a minute, this is just too easy, too seamless. And then all of a sudden your friend can join you and multiple friends can join you or I'm done. I want to go over here and do something different. Um, and I want to add just one word to what Dean said. Discoverability is actually the exciting part about the metaverse. The idea that you can just go to a game and you're stuck in this one place and that's it. And then now I have to leave and figure out some ecosystem to go to another experience. The idea that I can explore different things that different developers build is the same type of discoverability that we have in real life. And to me, that is the exciting part, is, is to get people to feel that level of presence and discoverability and be able to share that with either new people that you meet or friends that you wanna be with. That is going to be, I think, the power in what we deliver in, in Demo 2. And hopefully that will be, I think, our big coming out party because I think people, it's hard to explain that. Like even coming away from this podcast, people were like, I think I know what they do, but I, I still have all these questions or something. But when you actually go in there, it's funny, actually. I'll give you one antidote. I talk about our demo all the time. And then the funny thing is when I finally get to invite the person and they give me responses in the conversation, they're like, oh, 4,000 people, I've heard, you know, okay, scalability, it's great. But then they get in the demo and they're like, Oh, like, wow, this is, you're, when you say one square kilometer space, you're talking about a massive world that is streaming live on the web. And wait a minute, there's 4,000 people that I can go up to and handshake and talk to 
all over this place. They're like, wait a minute, that just didn't register when you explained it verbally. Like now that I'm in there and experience it, and we hope that that experience times 100 is going to happen in demo two, where people not only get that experience, but now I can walk over to an area where there's Beat Saber running. And I literally can start playing Beat Saber with by myself or with a friend. And then all of a sudden I'm like, wait a minute, there's a theater over there. Let's go check that out. And there's a live theater going on. And then maybe a concert that's over in a whole different area. That is when you really start to see the bigger picture of what a metaverse can deliver to the planet. And that's when I think a lot of people will be excited about what RP1 is doing. And so I think sometimes you just got to go build it and start it. And then eventually, hopefully, a lot of partners will join and help us in the journey and delivering what I believe can be the future of the internet. So super exciting. I love it. I love it. I mean, again, I, I can't be more excited to, to see this. I think this is one of the biggest um, needs that right now Meta, not, not Again, metaverses uh, need to be able to to have. I'm so upset with them stealing the name, um, but but we'll we'll come up with a new one here. But but I mean, this is really exciting. So so why whales? Um, again, lots of things coming down the road. We'll make sure that that we are kind of following RP One. Um, but this is Sean and uh, Dean from RP One. We'll see you guys next time. And again, tons and tons of follow up. I, I think are coming here soon. So good to see you guys. Really appreciate yeah, it. Thanks, thanks for having thanks so much, Jim. Why Whales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbach, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. Why Whales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywhales.com. YWhales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.